uh, I thought I'd start off with this video that quickly describes a little bit of my life with God. Sometimes you get stuck in the ditch, I'm a bit lost, and God rescues you, pulls you out, Bonk. <laughs> and straight back in. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else feels like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we can turn it off. We had an interesting morning this morning. Um, woke up for actually this whole week trying to wrestle and figure <laughs> out what is God doing? What is He saying? What does He want to say to us this morning? And honestly, I, I didn't have a conclusive message this morning. So I woke up, got everything set up, set up quickly, and I was just like, okay, God, I've got two hours. Like, you can actually speak to me. Just confirm, like, pull it all together. It's like I've spent a lot of time meditating on a psalm this week and a, another passage of Scripture. And like, usually God speaks to me in multiple ways, and then it kind of comes together and there's the answer. And then this morning, we woke up and friends of ours invited us to go to a baptism at another church. At, and we're like, I think we have to go. So all of that time that I'd freed up, that it's like, okay, God's going to use this to speak to us, was taken up with getting ready, rushing the kids off, going to the church, watching the baptism, celebrating, driving back and getting back here. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen this morning. Um, but I'm going to read the psalm and trust that God actually speaks to us. It's Psalm 25. Teach me your paths. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let my enemies not exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgression. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and mercy for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh God, my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. For you I take, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. 
what Michelle was sharing earlier of actually having faith, of trusting God, it's all part of the story that we tell ourselves, the story of life, the story of what we are living. They, they, the, the famous quote from Augustine that the most important thing about you is what you think about God. They often say it's actually, it's not just what you think about God, but actually what God thinks about you. Because God is God. It's, he's the one who controls everything. He controls life. He, our understanding of who God is, of the world He's created, of how we relate to Him, is the most important thing about us. Because it defines how we approach situations, how we approach our challenges, how we approach those that have hurt us, how we approach our successes in life, how we approach our futures. What do we do with our money? What do we do with our energy? What do we do with everything God has given us is defined by the story we tell ourselves about the world, the story we believe about the world, about what we are entitled to. I had a long conversation with my son this morning because it's not fair. Life's not fair. Eva had a sleepover. Eva had another sleepover. But I haven't had sleepovers. That, that was his conversation. And we had to go round and round. And I just said, life will never be fair. If you're trying to compare your life to somebody else's, it is never going to be fair. Unfortunately, we just have to make peace with that. All that we can do is compare our life and our actions and our situation to what we did yesterday and to what God wants of us. You think of the parable of the talents. None of it is fair. God doesn't try and deal in fair. He just says, what did you do with what I've given you? Did you have faith to actually use what I had given you for the role that I would asked you to do? And He is the perfect judge that can take everything into consideration. He knows what He's given you. He knows the challenges you have faced. He, he doesn't compare you to those around you of saying, ah, oh, but you didn't do that, 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 and that. You weren't as successful as so-and-so. He just says, what did you do with what I gave you? And I was thinking, story, what, what, how do we make sense of story? And the general trend in story is there's comedies and there's tragedies. Comedies are when there's a a happy ending. Tragedies is when there's a sad ending. But if you go through the genres of movies and stories, you've got romance or adventure or horror or thrillers. Or hopefully that's not how you define your life. But there's something of a little bit of all of them packed into the Bible and packed into our lives because there's times where we're faced with an unknown future and it seems terrifying. But it's a part of our story. And then there's the, the, the grand narrative of romance, which I think our culture has grabbed onto because it's such a powerful story and it's so deep within us that without God as the center of our culture, romance and love is the best substitute. So you look at the songs that are written at the moment. Nine out of ten successful songs is a song about love or romance or something or heartbreak or somewhere there because it's what touches us as deep as what we can but what is the story that you tell yourself about life about God about how it's going I was reminded of that a quote that's 
it'll be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. I think I heard it in my big fat Greek wedding or something. <laughs> but it's actually attributed to John Lennon. And there's something about it. It's like, yeah, we know the end. We know that like God has declared what the end is going to be. But we know there's going to be challenges all along the way. That's just a part of life, unfortunately. But we have a God that can secure the end, not because He's like laid out everything and we're just playing out this plan that's, oh, it feels like we're just robots or automatons, like just playing out what's been predefined for us. But at the same time, there's this miraculous God that has plans and purposes for us. And because He is God, He is securing it all along the way. It's like a father sitting with his kids or saying, come, let's play a game. But he's wise enough to know exactly what they're going to do and the steps they're going to take. But he's inviting us to, to play a part. And sometimes we're going to make a mistake and we're going to take a step that's wrong. But the father's there to actually lead us and guide us. And every time we make a mistake, he makes a new path of actually, okay, now we're going to go here. And you make another mistake and he's like, okay, but now there's this new path. And the miraculous thing is he uses all of those even mistakes that we make and we look back and it's like, was this the plan all along? And it looks like it was. Even though we make a mistake, it seems like it was part of the plan. I don't think it necessarily was. This gets into strange concepts. But we don't need to have all those answers. What we do have is a God from cover to cover in the Bible who is perfectly in control who is moved by compassion to love us and care for us, who says that actually in your times of need, I will be your comforter. And for the sake of the future, I'm not going to give you the perfect plan. I'm not going to give you the detailed outline of what it's going to be. I'm not going to make a perfect plain sailing, but I'm going to say, I will be with you. So like Michelle said, when you get to the Red Sea and there's no way and the Egyptian army is chasing behind you. He's like, I'm not going to just make it easy for you, but I'm going to stand in between you and the enemy. And when you trust me and you raise your staff over the Red Sea, I can part it in your time of need. And you can cross through on dry land. That's the God that we serve. And like Michelle said, we are going through our own challenges like that. It feels like we trust God and then He answers something and then straight away it's like, okay, but now what's the next challenge? We, don't, we, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that actually, God, You were faithful and You opened a door for our kids. You were faithful when we said, actually, go. You just led us to the right people at the right time and You're providing for all our needs. Are we still wrestling and trusting? Yes. But it's this incredible faith journey. And in wrestling with trying to figure out what to preach, um, I keep getting encouraging challenges from certain family members. Just preach on faith. Just enduring faith. And I'm like, I don't know if I have that enduring faith yet. I, I haven't endured yet. <laughs> Once I'm there, I'll, next time I come back, I'll say, hey, look at what God did. At the moment, I can say, I'm like, hey, I'm in the midst of it. It's like, I'm pretty sure God's providing, but I, I, haven't, I haven't reached the promised land yet. And not that our future is the promised land, but there's something of this journey that God's got us on. And I think He's inviting everybody into, even though it's going to look different for each and every one of us. And I don't know if you saw, amazing thing, 
John Lennon, he's been dead for a few decades, but he released a new song this week. <laughs> the Beatles released a whole new, their last song and their new latest song, and because they've used AI to actually artificially use all of his recordings before to compile it and add his vocals to this new release of the Beatles song. And then I've got another song. So you need to shout out who's singing and what song it is. Let me see who can win. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life. I realize there's nothing left. I've been blessed that laughing so long, but even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. I never cross a man that didn't deserve it. Baby, treat it like a bond. Well, you know it's unheard of. Better watch how you're talking or where you're walking. Or you and your homies may be lying lips shut. I really hate to trip, but I gotta love. As they croak, I see myself in the business mode. Ooh. Yes, I'm the catagy, the little homies want to be like On my knees in the night, saying prayers in the streetlight You spend most of your life living in a gangster's paradise You spend most of your life living in a gangster's paradise There are multiple songs that are taking recordings of artists. Like, if you listen to that, it sounds exactly like Johnny Cash. He clearly did not record that because that's clearly like Gangster's Paradise. And there's multiple other ones <coughs> using, yeah. And it's such, it's like there is an element of it. It's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And it's sacrilegious. And it's like you, you're stealing somebody's voice and you're reusing it and I was struck by I think there's something of of our Christian journey where we're doing that it's like we're so influenced by other people that it's we're operating just on this default mode where we're taking other people's revelation of God other people's truth we're saying the right things we're pretending we it's like they're pretending like there's Johnny Cash singing that song, but it's not. There's something powerful to it, and there's, there's something of us adding, it's like it's, we're adding a Johnny Cash flavor to like Gangster Paradise song, and we, we kind of doing that. We're adding a little bit of, hey, Warren flavor to being a disciple. But there's something that lacks that authenticity of that is truly who you are called to be. That is truly your discipleship walk. You know Christ and you're walking it out and you're living it out. God doesn't want you to live this fake, artificially created life. He doesn't want you to just pull a little bit here and a little bit there and like take a little bit of other people's revelation. Because that's what AI does. It just 
It takes other people's work, compiles it all together, and puts it together in a way that seems compelling. It seems impressive. It seems intelligent. It's not, but it seems like it. Because it's, it's borrowing from the best of everybody, or the best of a lot, or the, the average. And the story that God is inviting you into is so much more compelling than that. So much richer. But it's also a little bit more challenging than that. The Western world at the moment is wrestling with how to deal with the crumbling of an empire, the, the falling down. The, we, we saw it when we were in Australia where they so upset or they're distraught about oh, Australia is not what it used to be. If you follow any news, America's in the same place. Britain in the same place. A lot of the world is, is trying to figure out how do we live? How, our, our definition of the good guys, the bad guys, the good way of life, the right way of life, the right way of living, the wrong way is all up for debate or at least being debated. And the those that are trying to find a solution, like the best of people, the best they've come up with is saying we need to reimagine and reinvigorate and cultivate a new vision and story or narrative for the Western world to try and recapture the world. And a lot of it is based on law and constitutions and the founding fathers of America, or what made Britain, Britain, what made Australia, Australia, what made South Africa, South Africa, and we try and find stories that actually captivate us, give us a new vision. We try and use the unification of the box, winning the World Cup, and it's like that will be our picture of unifying the country, and it might be a picture of it. There is a symbol of, like there's a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. When actually brothers dwell together in unity and work together on the same mission with the same vision, they can achieve great things. We saw that with the box. But I think a lot of those stories are at best man-made and at best superficial and it leaves us with a lot of hard work that doesn't really get to the root of the, the problem. I say the Western world looks at it as these are what have created who we are. They're trying to go back to, okay, the Greeks had this and the Romans gave us this. And they're looking and it's saying like some of it is enlightenment and some of it's law and some of it's democracy. And we're trying to build lives and recreate a society on this. But if you ask me what, what transformed the world, was the gospel going out and transforming hearts. Because the best that the Western world has to offer is maybe democracy and capitalism. And the reality is capitalism, hey, it might be better than any other economic system, maybe. But it is as open to being abused by greed and personal power once we get monopolies as anything else. Democracy, once it gets so established, it can get corrupted by those that are supposed to be servants in power become actually influenced by economic forces and it, it doesn't work the way that we actually necessarily want it to work. 
So that's why you see a young generation rising up and saying, wow, let's explore socialism without any historical knowledge of what that necessarily leads to. And all of it is actually, I believe, coming from a desperate longing for the kingdom of God. We've, we've tasted and we've seen there's something of actually, if we look after society as a whole, it would be beautiful. And it tugs on our heartstrings of actually, we have to care for the weak and the vulnerable as opposed to those rich and powerful. But we don't necessarily see what caused those inequalities. And we don't get down to the deep heart of it. I had multiple conversations with Kamo and saying, like, how do we fix South Africa? And he's like, we just need a leader with a good vision. And I'm like, that's not going to work because we need to change hearts. Because we can get captivated by a good selfish vision of, hey, we can fix the country and it'll be good for you. But ultimately, we all, or most people, are going to do what's good for them and their community and their family and aren't going to use the resources they've got in sacrificial service of those around them without a transformation of their heart. And that's what we see repeated in most governments, most communities, most societies, unfortunately, even in churches, in organizations where people get into a position of power, power has a tendency to corrupt. And left unchecked, like combined with our sinful tendencies, gets used for our own selfish benefit rather than in service of those around us. That's why Jesus is an example of the greatest among you will actually be your servant. Those that are willing to lay down their life for others. Wow, this has not gone the way I thought it would. Um, so I've been thinking a lot on, because this is one of the last few times I'm going to be able to, to preach to you, or to share with you what God is doing. So I was meditating on what Moses shared before like the end of Deuteronomy. He stood up and he shared and they, they recited the law to the people of God, to Israel. And he, he goes over the whole like, law and says, this is what God has revealed to us. There's God's ways and there's worldly ways. And he's saying, there's a choice before you. And he says, choose life, not death. And then he sings like a song over them. But it's, it's almost a song of lament because he knows they're going to be like that sheep that's going to wander and we're going to go off the rails but he says when you do turn back to God and he will restore and he'll come and he'll set you set you right again and he'll look after you and he'll bring you into the promised land and there's going to be times where you go off the rails and off the rails and off the rails but he'll always he'll always be there for you if you turn back and then he blesses them and he prays over them and he blesses each and every one of them he speaks over each and every tribe and he speaks blessing over them and there's something of that picture is exactly what I think the western world is trying to do at the moment they're trying to say look we've got this beautiful flower that we've plucked and we used to be let's fix it what, how, how was it fixed it's like okay it used to be connected to the, these roots let's shove it back in or try and like get it back to life we're trying to, by our own strength, replant that flower. And I was thinking, it's a sunflower. It's this beautiful sunflower that's been plucked and given to you. 
and you go and put it in the garden and you artificially like just plug it back in the ground and say like I hope it grows and that's what we, we, we try and do and that's what I think Moses was trying to do of okay God's given us these ways let's do it do it by all your strength and all your might but then Jesus' last few words you can read it from John 13 to 17 he starts off by taking a, a, a bowl and he takes a towel and he starts washing his disciples' feet. He doesn't give them this instruction. He doesn't give them 10 new laws. He starts serving. He starts loving them. He starts small. Jesus' plan was not to be the successful political leader. He wasn't starting a king. He started with 12 people. So it doesn't matter how many people are part of Trinity Central now, how many people leave, how many people stay. He starts off with 12 and he serves them. And he says, this is the way into the fullness of life. And Peter's like, no, 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 I should be washing your feet because he's still thinking in an old mindset of, okay, what do I do that's right? I have to serve you. I have to do the right things. Then I'll guarantee my future. Jesus says, no, I need to wash you. I need to start by actually cleansing you. I need to start by washing your, your heart and cleansing out of your <coughs> motives. And in John 14, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's going to come. He's going to be your helper and your comforter. John 15, he says, you can do nothing without me, without abiding in me. You have to stick close to me. John 16, then it starts talking again about how much the Holy Spirit will empower us and strengthen us to do what God has asked us to do. John 17, he prays for his church. Jesus prays and he says, I pray that they will be united as what I am united with you, God. That's the picture of the Trinity and Trinity Central of actually, it's not going to be this perfect plan of how we shove the sunflower back into the ground. I don't believe that's the way that the Western world or our church or our lives are going to be restored. But that sunflower holds probably hundreds or even more seeds. The seeds of life locked up that we can see the fruit of what has come before. And if we take those seeds of life and plant them and let them die, then it can bring new life. And that's the, the Western world needs to realize that actually the way to life is through Christ's death and resurrection. The Western world has been what it has been because of the gospel taking root and transforming hearts and lives. That is what has bled, like overflowed into a just society rising up. That is what led to a legal system that actually cares for the weak and the vulnerable. That has led to a, a people that are actually motivated by compassion, by service, by generosity. That is where we, we actually come from. That is what underpins and undergirds and strengthens the societies that we've grown to love. Have they become corrupt? Yes. Have they been distorted? Yes. But we pray for the restoration of God's kingdom. How it's going to spread, I don't know. Whether it's going to start 
in Africa and show what God is capable of doing. Whether it starts in the Middle East and actually people turn to God, I don't know. But that is what I'm trusting for. That actually God is going to restore hearts and lives and draw many, many people to Him. Because as hearts and lives are transformed, that spreads out and we start changing our communities and we start changing our businesses and we start changing those around us. And we actually find our authentic voice of how we are going to play a part in this. Not some AI-generated fake construct of what we're supposed to be. We actually find our genuine voice to reach out to those around us. I said it last week and I said it again. Don't wait until you're a professional Christian to be a full-time Christian. Start today. Start walking with God. Start learning to live and abide with Him. Empowered by the Spirit to strengthen you as you go into your Monday, your Tuesday, Wednesday. Every day walking with God, sharing what He is, what he is giving you. passage I also meditated on for this week was Hebrews 10 because I kept getting told to preach on Hebrews 11 and these amazing testimonies of the heroes of the faith but we need the reason why they could be heroes of the faith we need the foundation underneath us and if you understand Hebrews 10 you will have that for since the law has has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every week, make perfect those who who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will he, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The picture there is that God made a covenant with Israel. And He told them, these are the ways that you have to do it. That's what Moses told them, reminded them. I am making a covenant with you. I'm making an arrangement with you that if you do your part, I will play my part. I will care for you. I will look after you. And there's a tendency inside of us to live in that same mindset. I'll be good, God. I'll do all the right things as long as you look after me. I'll do all the right things as long as you play your part. Jesus comes and says, I've done away with that mindset, that thinking. That is old covenant way of thinking. The new covenant is I have done everything. 
Jesus says, I have paid it all. There's no such thing as just do the right thing to make sure that God does it. He says, I have done everything. And in the psalm I read in the beginning, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenants and His testimonies. For your name's sake, O God, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Something of God reveals His new covenant to us. That our covenant is not based on how well you behave, on the good things you do, on how much you stop sinning. Our covenant and our forgiveness is based on what Jesus has done only. And we believe that we can actually live in complete freedom. Still says, pardon my guilt. Pardon my guilt, not for my sake, but for your sake, God. Because you have done everything. The more that we are forgiven, the more that we are ushered into the fullness of God, what God has for us, it is for His glory, not to our glory. It doesn't confirm how good we are. It's actually because of what Christ has done. Everything is for His sake. He doesn't forgive you because you've been good and you stopped doing all of those things. You stopped thinking like that. You stopped acting like that. You've tried to be loving and kind and you've tried to be good and you've tried to be generous. He doesn't forgive you for any of that. He forgives you because Christ has paid the price. You are not who you used to be. That is the new covenant He has made with us. And it is an everlasting covenant. There is no other covenant that needs to be made. Once you are in, you are in. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All the paths of the Lord. He says, teach me your path. All our ways are covered by God's steadfast love and faithfulness. When you hit a bump in the road, when something goes wrong, it's not God punishing you, it's not God disciplining you, it's not because you did something wrong it's not all of them are God's steadfast love and faithfulness every challenge you face can be used for your good and your glory and for God's like name to be proclaimed because all of it is working towards God's preferred and desired future for you if it's not okay it's not the end yet because it will be okay in the end it will be good in the end We're going to take communion now. Lord, I pray that you would rewrite our stories, rewrite the narratives in our head, rewrite the way that we approach challenges, rewrite the way that we use our, our resources, rewrite the way that we think about our lives, the plan for our future, rewrite the, the stories that we have. We feel like people have held us back and those people did that against us and we hold on to that unforgiveness. We hold on to that pain. We hold on to that just because if we let it go, then it's, who's going to remember God? But actually, help us to live in the freedom of what you are doing. I pray that you would help us to be captivated by your story, Lord. We'd be captivated by a God that loves us and cares for us. A Father who has planned an incredible life and future for us, for our kids, for our families, for 
and He is leading us every step along the way. Help us to take bold, faithful decisions to walk with You step by step. To use everything You have given us to generously sacrifice for Your your gospel, for your kingdom, for your glory, Lord. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you that this is the ultimate picture and representation of this new covenant that you made with us. That your body was broken in our place for our sins, for your body was broken and torn in two to make a way like the temple and the curtain being torn in two that we can step into the Holy of Holies. Thank you that because of what you have done, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and enter in and trusting your sacrifice, your body, your blood has washed us and cleansed us and empowered us to live transformed lives. Help us to place the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit at the center of our lives and let everything revolve around that. Give us a new story of who we are and who we are called to be. Thank you that we get to live this out day by day step by step with you. Help us to have that unrelenting faith that we can step into everything you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.